are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by Java Man Archery, building traditional bows since 1994. Java Man offers 12 models of hybrid longbows and recurves featuring accuracy-enhancing forward handles as well as Asiatic-inspired models. Greg Coffey's forte is short hunting bows that pull unusually smoothly, even with longer draw lengths. Greg's custom bows can be ordered in a variety of configurations, from plain to fancy, including hand-carved functional art in the riser. He offers all of his models in one-piece or two-piece takedowns using the bow bolt system. Now, Greg's newest model developed in May of 2018, the Impala Longbow, is available in lengths of 64 to 70 inches. And the Impala meets IFAA regulations for serious competitors on the target course. Now, I got to meet Greg in person earlier this year and spent a good bit of time talking with him. He's knowledgeable, easy to talk to, and just seems to be an all-around great guy. If you're thinking about a new bow, be sure to consider Java Man Archery and give Greg a call. And be sure to tell him you heard about Java Man Archery on this podcast. You can learn more about Greg's bows, place an order, or obtain contact information on his website at www.javamanarchery.com. Now on to the show. Well, welcome everyone to the podcast. How's it going, Nick? Oh, it's going pretty good, Steve. It's, uh, it's, it's been kind of boring lately, actually, though. I haven't even had a chance to hunt lately, but I know you have, and I've been living vicariously through you and have been excited about uh, my trip coming down to see you based on all the activity you have had. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can talk about it just a little bit. So, yeah, I haven't been doing a lot of hunting since uh, Wyoming. It, to be honest, it's just been brutally hot, and I think I've even mentioned this before. I've been, you know, playing a little catch up with the family being gone for a little over a week you know Bella's Bella's heading off to college so we've been doing a lot of college visits and so forth so um uh just getting out sporadically but last weekend we had a we had a good uh cold front move through dropped the temperatures down pretty good and I had a, a stand that I had been I'd hunted it one morning for about three hours and I'm trying to give all of my stands at least three weeks rest this year between sits. And it had been a little over four, almost five weeks, but I, I need a west wind to hunt this stand. And, and lo and behold, the cold front comes in. I've got a west wind. So um, went and climbed up in that stand uh, Saturday morning and had a group of does come in. And the biggest doe in the bunch gave me a, a broadside shot at about 10 yards, 10 to 12 yards. Um, she, she, our deer are just so wired. I don't, I, I mean, it, they, they are hunted so hard for so many months out of the year that I think they're just naturally on edge all the time, but she, she dropped a full body height. So, you know, I hit her a little bit higher than I anticipated, but because of the way she dropped and the way she leaned, it basically went, you know, entered top of the shoulder and went, came out, you know, right through the bottom of the chest, 70 yard recovery. Um, it, you know, I can't complain about any of it and turned out to be a, a really nice size doe. And then Sunday I went down to the property that I hunt uh, and both of these pieces of property, you'll be hunting with me um, in a few weeks, but I uh, went down to one of the pieces of property I've got down in um, middle Georgia and sat in the stand that morning uh, is actually the same stand that I, I shot the 10 point last year and didn't see anything that morning and I got down just did a little 
quick scouting around, looking at feed sign and so forth. And the the areas that I hunt up here, we don't have many white oaks, but the white oaks down there are just loaded, and they're really holding on to the acorn crop, which is going to be hopefully good for when you get down here. But um, I did a little scouting around, found some fresh droppings, and I convinced myself I needed to relocate for the afternoon about 50 or 60 yards, which I did. Um, set my stand so that, you know, I, I was counting on the deer coming from behind me so I could have a, you know, quartering away shot as they walked away. Had everything figured out perfectly. And, of course, um, the buck comes in from straight in front of me. <laughs> I had just sat down. I, I was, I was, I always stand the last hour of legal light. And I had just sat down because I wasn't hearing anything. I said, there's no way anything's going to make it to me before end of shooting light. I don't think my butt had hit the seat and I caught movement and probably definitely one of the biggest bodied, if not the biggest bodied deer I've ever seen. Definitely the oldest buck, just gray, almost looked like a ghost. You could see his back was swayed and he was just walking stiff legged. I mean, he was just a really big deer. Um, and I just made a stupid mistake. I had still had my camera arm on the tree and I went to move the camera arm out of the way. And I thought I moved it slow enough, but he looked right up at me and zoned in on me and he knew something wasn't up. He didn't blow out. So he, he didn't get like freaked out, but he knew something wasn't right. And he ended up turning and going back the other direction. And I was just kicking myself. Um, oh, cause he would have passed. Yeah. He would have passed at 12 yards broadside upwind just perfect one of those perfect oh. scenarios well how, how high up were you uh 25 foot 25 feet yeah and this wow. this property's not pressured at all um it's there's enough property around um the tracks that i have that's all bow hunting um so none of these deer get shot at with a rifle but they you know they're they're not pushovers they're they're still smart and Oh, well, still, still got a few months left, and now you know he's still down there waiting on you. So This is a wary old boy down there. Yeah, um, and, there's, and there's a bunch of them on this property. This is, he's not the only one. In fact, I've never gotten him on camera with nine cameras running on 100 acres, I guess. Um, and then Jerry Russell, uh, the guy who um, I leased the property through, I know he's got a bunch of cameras because he has um, – some of the acreage adjacent to me and uh i don't think anybody's ever seen this boy on camera so oh wow well i'm, I'm sure it'll be deer park fun land when i get down there that's what i'm uh that's what i'm expecting i mean it's incrementally gone up every time i visited you i mean we had zero and then two and hell if i see four that's a that's a pattern well, I can tell you this, I think I've had two sits all year that I didn't see something, either deer, pigs, or, or bears. I know, so, man. You're just, it's like wild America over there. I mean, if you, know. you don't see something this time, it's all you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, no, man, I'm bringing all my luck with me. <laughs> all right. Well, the good, the good luck. I'm looking forward I'm to it. it. Nothing's going to make me happier than for us to be able to record a podcast before you go back and and talk about your your Georgia deer finally because you you've definitely put in your oh your man I know and you know nothing good happens here so I'm banking on it happening there happening there <laughs> so my karma is in the bank but uh, 
no, nah, anyway, it'll be a lot of fun, man. I can't wait to come down and see you. But anyway, enough of us babbling. We got a great guest this week, don't we? Well, yes, we do. Yes, we do. On the other end of the line, we've got Mr. Chad Slagle. How are you, Chad? I'm well, gentlemen. Sounds like uh, you're having some pretty good luck there so far already. <laughs> it's deer season, so you're making me kind of uh, envious over here, Steve. I've I've seen you had a little bit of luck this year too. I was I'm gonna get to that. <laughs> yeah, I I just uh I don't get to whitetail hunt out here uh, in Colorado uh, as much. I'm I'm going to I've got some hunting planned here next month, but uh, I do miss uh, hunting whitetails conveniently. Well, I tell you what, you've got an open invitation. You ever want to come to Georgia mm-hmm. to chase whitetails? Mm-hmm. You let me know, and we'll work it out. I've got all right. Hundreds of thousands of acres I can take you to. Well, that's excellent. We got it on the recording, so I've got it, and we're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully you can come out here and 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 I can teach you something about eastern whitetails, and and maybe for the end of this podcast, you can help me shed some light on what Tom Jurgensen and I did wrong hunting mule deer out in Wyoming. I'm going to bring on that a little bit too. <laughs> All right, sounds good. <laughs> So, Chad, I, I I know you've been you've been doing a little a little hunting this year because I've been following mm-hmm. your, your pictures on on Instagram. So, now are you yep. um, are you still elk hunting or? Technically, um, <clears throat> well, archery season is over for elk, but um, I'm going to go out. Um, it'll be the the third rifle season. Um, I'm going to go. I go with my bow, but uh, I. I do have an area that I'm going to hit that's um, it's real hard to get to, so I don't think it's going to get pressured as much. It's kind of a sanctuary area, and that's so I'm going to spend four days in the backcountry in that area trying to get an elk then. Um, <clears throat> I've had a great elk season. I mean, I've, I had all kinds of encounters. I, I've passed on multiple shots for one reason or the other. Now, of course, I wish I would have took a couple of <laughs> shots, but I can um i mean i had a great time and i've had a lot of close encounters i've got real close to some nice bulls and and all that kind of stuff so it's been it's been really good um i just haven't put one on the ground yet but uh but it's been fun so yeah i'll get one more good good shot out uh here in another week go back out for a few days and and see if i have any luck well good deal we wish you all the all the best of luck and i I do want to come back to the mule deer stuff but i tell you we kind of just jumped in um, like I was talking to you right before we started recording, I feel like I've, I've known you for quite some time and I know Nick does as well, but mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. any, for any listeners that, that might not know who you are, I guess, you know, give us a little background on, 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 on who you are. Sure. Um, well, um, so again, my name's Chad Slego. I, I grew up in, uh, West Virginia, a little town called, uh, Brewston Mills near Morgantown, West Virginia. My dad opened an archery shop there in uh, 1979 and uh, so i grew up basically in the archery shop and um, so i've been around that all my life and um, been around the hunting industry all my life but uh, i was also been uh, a musician most of my life and uh, spent most of my adult life as a professional musician and um so i, I kind of did that and then um uh, what most guys know know me for is that 2006, I believe it was, I released an album about um, traditional archery and hunting and things called High, Wild, and Free. And um, 
that kind of took off and was really well accepted in the traditional community. And then uh, I released a, another album in uh, 2008 uh, called Nights Like This with the same kind of themes. So that's that's where I think most of the guys in, in the trad uh, world know me from. Well, I know I know Nick's dying to get into some questions around around some of the music. I think uh, I know I own both of those albums. I'm I'm not sure if Nick owns both of them or not, but um, mm-hmm. I've 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 listened to them quite a bit. I definitely have have uh, my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know, I will just say this: not to pigeonhole you in any, but. Uh, there's a lot in there's a lot in those songs that doesn't necessarily tie directly to, to traditional. Um, and when I say that, it's really mm-hmm. more about again, kind of what Nick and I talk about as far as you know. One of the main reasons we started this show was the experiences. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, the experience of the outdoors. Yeah, I know you're 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 a longbow guy. You're singing about longbow hunting, but there's there's some really good stories in some of the. The, the songs as well well that's um and i you know i do write a lot of articles i have for many years um and uh it's like i always tell people they ask me about uh, articles i write and i i just tell them i write about life they, they just happens to be with a bow in my hand so it's kind of the same way with uh, with my songs i think it's just uh um whatever the experiences are, you know, and some of the greatest hunters I've ever known, like my grandfather and different people, you know, he hunted with an old M1 grand he got from, uh, he brought back from the war. So, you know, um, it's not what we use. It's, it's how we go about things and, and a lot of it's perspective. And that's what I try to, I try to concentrate on is the perspective uh, that we get from the experience. Yeah. And you know, I noticed that a lot, like the bulk of your subject matter seems to be based on like, like, I mean, I, I mean, other than, you know, finding your, finding yourself and finding what you love and, and, and being free and out in the woods and, and uh, that, but they, they seem to be based on like real people and, and, and things that have happened to you. Like I, I, my, my favorite song is actually um, grandpa's walking stick. Um, mm-hmm. I love that song. And I wanted to ask you, I always have, is, is that a true story? Is that all that? It is a- it is a true story. Um, the um, in one of the first issues of Bowyer's Journal before uh, uh, back before it became Trad Archer's World, I wrote an article uh, about about that. But uh, yeah, what happened was uh, um, the, the 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 real deal on that one is uh, um, when my grandfather uh, he got a real bad uh, well he pancreatic cancer it took him real fast and I was. I was uh, working on the road for, uh, at the time and, uh, I was not able to get back home in time before he passed. And I had a real, real hard time kind of dealing with that. And, uh, but he used to always whittle out, uh, walking sticks. That's one of the things he, he liked to do a lot. So I found one of them in the corner of the, his, uh, greenhouse one day and, uh, grandma, let me take it home. So, um, of course, in the song, I talk about building a bow from it. So I actually built a bow out of two pieces of wood. So that piece of wood uh, became the handle and the, and the base part. But the actual working limbs were uh, I cut down from a cherry tree. That was the first deer that I ever um, got with bow and arrow. That was 30 years ago this fall. And um, 
they were timbering that piece of property. Um, and uh, when I found out they were timbering, I was talking to my neighbor and I said, you know, I'd really like that, that cherry tree back there. I killed that first one out. So he let me buy the, uh, by that cherry tree. So the working part of the limb and the base of that bow was that, was that tree, but, but the, um, the handle and some of the other things that I put into that bow was from one of the walking sticks that he had. Man, I just, that's, I, I had no idea it was that in depth. I mean, that's great. I love all of that. What a cool story, man. Uh, oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, are there any others kind of like that, that kind of are of that, like kind of of the same cloth kind of deal? Well, yeah. I mean, if, if I write a song about anything, odds are it's, it's based on fact. Cause I'm just not that, uh, I don't have that much of an imagination. <laughs> so the, uh, <laughs> uh, on that same album, um, particularly on high wild and free, there was a, the rookie trapper. It's about a guy named Jack Ryan. Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah, he he wrote. Uh, he used to write these little books. Um, he self-published these little books about trapping and about the outdoors. And my dad used to sell them in our sports shop. So when we get slow, I'd sit and read them. And uh, and then years later, uh, when I was traveling, I found his books at a little shop, uh, and I bought them because I remember reading them all. And um, and then uh, I got the call that Jack had passed away. I sat down and I wrote. I pulled out one of his books and then one of the stories in the book is called the rookie trapper. So, um, that's what I based that, that song on. So that's where that came from. And, um, um, so yeah, lots of them. Uh, the Jay Massey song, the pathfinder was based upon, um, a hunt trip that my dad and I took, uh, when we floated down the moose, John, um, back in 1992. Uh, so that was kind of based on, and I got to spend two days after the hunt, uh, with Jay and his wife, Martha at their, at their home and, uh, kind of got to see the cabin where they lived and hang out with them a little bit. And he gave me his book. Um, uh, well, I've got all his books and, and stuff. So I got those books from him. And that was the first time I ever got into traditional archery was because of him. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd shot compounds my whole life cause that was our bread and butter growing up. Sure. And, um, and then we went on that trip and we got to see his bows and, and I grew up Reverend Stacy Grosscup was uh, from my area. He's from Morgantown, West Virginia. And so I knew Stacy real well. And, and, uh, and I had some old recurves and he'd come up and he'd show me to shoot it at the shop and stuff like that. But I never got serious about traditional archery till my dad and I took that trip and I, and I read that book. And see, I so. think that that gives you somewhat of a unique perspective, not necessarily unique. I, I don't say that. I feel a, a, a kinship there because that's kind of the same perspective that I have. Whereas I admire Nick because Nick's never touched a compound, which, you know, I think is pretty rare for someone his age to, to start out right. with, with mm-hmm. you know, traditional gear. Um, but mm-hmm. I was kind of the same way. I, I started out shooting compounds and, you know, I just up and I had the desire one day to, to add a little challenge. And once I started shooting traditional, I was you know hooked on it, but I think it just gives guys like you and me a little bit of a different perspective than some of the folks that, you know, that's, that's all they've ever, that's all they've ever shot. 
likewise, I think it gives Nick a, a unique perspective because it's he doesn't even know what what it means to shoot a compound, which I think is very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And some of the compounds uh, that we used to shoot uh, probably doesn't shoot any faster than some of the longbows we got now. <laughs> no, I, I can I, I can almost guarantee you they did, and it really wasn't a lot of difference. If I mean, if I look back when I first when I first started bow hunting. Yes, the bow had wheels. Yes, it had let off. And I want to say it was like, I don't know, maybe 50, you know, it was just wheels. It wasn't cams. And, mm-hmm. um, right. and yes, I had, I did have sight pins, but you know, I'm shooting with my fingers. I mean, it, it wasn't that much different than shooting uh, traditional. Yes, definitely different, but not, not as much as, as some of the bows that are out there today. I would just, you know, I would have to say that. But. Yeah, absolutely. We, we didn't really see a major change in technology till probably the early 90s that's when it started to kind of change the other way and you started getting bows that were shooting 230 240 stuff like that yeah right right after we had that that awkward period where everyone was trying to do everything they could to make their existing bows so fast you had the the overdraw craze where people were shooting <laughs> this, the four and six inch overdraws with those little shorter. It was, and there was some dangerous stuff, to be honest, if you look back on it, it's amazing what people hurt. Oh, I know. I, I, um, and I saw a lot of bows blow up on the archer ranges back then because we were shooting competitive all the time. And, and, uh, yeah, I saw a lot of bows blow up back then. And, uh, it was good business for my dad. We're always fixing them, <laughs> and, um, but yeah, we the people were stressing them all the time, and and uh, yeah, it was real dangerous. And I I wouldn't even consider shooting anything less than ten grains an inch, you know, with what I do now. But back then, people were shooting five and six, and not oh, thinking twice about it. Yeah, and I was and I ha- I was one of those guys. I had a, a, a I think it was it was a Darton. I don't remember what it was, but it blew up. Cam exploded. Mm-hmm. Right, that mm-hmm. magnesium riser broke all at one time. It was, it was, but I was, if I remember correctly, I was drawing something like 95 pounds on that bow with like a five inch overdraw. <laughs> the arrows weigh nothing, man. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like a cannon going off when you'd shoot it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You talk about deer dropping, they used to drop a lot back then. Oh, yeah, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I shot for Darton for a few years because my dad sold Dartons and, and uh, uh, the rep and the, and the guy who got me signed up to be uh, to shoot for Darton was a guy by the name of Fred Eichler, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. He was a rep for for Darton and uh, several several outdoor companies for a long time. Yeah. All right. I don't want to get. I, I I I definitely want to get back on the traditional side of things, but I just got to ask the question. <laughs> I'm curious. Yes. What was what was your first bow? You remember? Um, my first bow ever to see. Well, now I, I grew up. Um, so my dad had a, he had a few bear recurves. Uh, he had a Kodiak, Super Kodiak, and he had uh, had a Grizzly. And so I grew up playing with a Grizzly mostly. He didn't okay. want me to touch the Super Kodiak, but uh, yeah, so I shot the Grizzly. And then my very first compound bow um, was a Pro Line of some sort. That was the first. That was the first deer I took was with that bow it was a a pro line you said darton i was just curious because the first bow i had was a a darton sl50 which that was that was our bread and butter for the first few years that was the biggest selling bow we probably ever sold i I would have to say probably one of the highest selling bows of all time 
I would have to say so. Yeah, absolutely. Now I did have one of those uh, later on, um, but I started before the SL50s came out, um, just a couple years before before the 50 came out. I got you. Well, yeah. since we just went way off on a rabbit trail there, I'm going to come back. <laughs> yeah. I'm like Nick got talking about, so I'm going to tell you, I have, <laughs> I have two favorite songs, but my, my absolute, um, my absolute favorite is, uh, the last wild man. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, for those that don't know, that's uh, a song about Bart Slyer who was killed by a grizzly. Um, you can probably give more details on that than I can as far as the dates and so forth. I do know that it was kind of unique. I was actually listening to a podcast, um, maybe in the Stickbow Chronicles, uh, where Marty Browning was talking about he was actually face-to-face with a, um, a grizzly with cubs. Uh, had walked out and didn't have bear spray, didn't have anything, and by some miracle managed to get back to his camp. And he found out when he got back that um, Slyer had, had, had been killed. It was, he, and it was the same, either the same day or the same weekend or something like that. Really, really odd coincidence. It was the same weekend. And, of course, to hear Monty, Monty's the greatest storyteller alive probably. But um, the other thing is that the Timothy Treadwell was also killed that same weekend. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. That was so, there was some sort of, universal energy i don't know what was going on but uh yeah that was the same weekend same weekend wow well anyway i i just i love that song and something it's one of those that um and and i'm a big i'm a big music fan anyway um that's you know there's a there's a handful of songs that i can say that i can listen to that i'll get i'll get goosebumps on my arms no matter how many times i listen to them that's one of them um (laughs) Longbow Country is my other one. I'll I'll just cop out and say that I love that song. So that was an anthem for quite a few people on that. <laughs> yes, yes, that. still is. That's right. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The the uh, the last Wild Man. Um, when I wrote that song about Bart, I uh, years ago I met Bart and Paul Schaefer together just as a total random circumstance. And I didn't know either one of those guys. I didn't know anything about either one of them. Um, and the only reason I even met them was because my dad, uh, was interested because my dad had his shop and was interested in, uh, opening up a franchise of screaming Eagle. So we went and met with Paul Brunner and, um, about possibly doing that. And in doing so, we just happened to get introduced to those two guys. That's really cool. And uh-huh. yeah, so that's that's the only reason I ever even got to meet them. And I didn't really learn anything about them till much later, um, really. But uh, I I knew a little bit about Paul, and I I knew about his recurves because Brunner was shooting the recur shooting that at the time, and so was um, Barry Wenzel was shooting that as well. Uh, so I was familiar with the recurves, but that, that was about it. But, um, but anyway, this, the story, um, there was a, there was an article in outdoor life. I believe it was that, uh, that an author wrote about Bart after mm-hmm. it was called the last wild man. So, um, I just read the article and I thought, man, 
you know, and he was like, both those guys were mountains of men. Like they, they were just physical specimens and there was just something different about them. Um, and then, uh, and I, I was fortunate enough to hear, uh, be around campfires before and hear Paul Brunner talk, talk about him and Paul and hear stories like that and stuff. So I just, it all kind of clicked. And I said, yeah, last while, man. So I sat down and wrote that one. And, uh, and for those, uh, for those budding writers out there, uh, you, you can't copyright a title. So feel free to take it anytime you want. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I, 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 I'm sure you, you, you may have listened when we had Paul on, but, uh, yes, I did. Yeah. I, 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 and Nick gave me a hard time about it because I think he said I was fanboying. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I grew up watching Paul, and you know, ever mm-hmm, since we had him on the show, well, he's been he's been elk hunting quite hard. Um, but you know, I've I've talked to him several times on the phone since then, and um, I, I've already told him, you know, he's still making bows, um, uh, self bows. Mm-hmm. And, and we we I'm gonna get one from him as soon as he gets you know his elk hunting done and he he he's got a little time on his hands, I'm getting one of those bows from him if for no other reason just so I've got a bow on my wall that that Paul Bruner, that Paul Bruner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that would be awesome i I was lucky enough to get one of Paul's bows uh years ago, so i do have i do have a, a paul original Schaefer. Mm-hmm. so um but uh yeah i think that that would be cool uh paul was something else um he was really really <laughs> just oh, a neat you, fella yeah you don't have to tell me because i could in fact i can't talk about it on the on the podcast because we you know, <laughs> yeah. not going into detail there's some things after we stop recording that i'll just have to tell you because i get some emails sometimes and i'll just bust out laughing i mean the guy is just he's a crack up i mean he's a character oh yeah he is a character, no doubt about it. And I'm just like you. I grew up, I mean, half the stuff that I do or use still to this day is because I remember Paul using it. I remember like when you guys were talking about the, you know, the broadheads coming through the, the deer skin and or the elk skin. And uh, I still use a lot of HS strut products because of him. Still use the old wafers, all that stuff because, you know, that from the videos and stuff way back then. Did you ever use the, uh, we were talking about on the podcast, the, the pit stop deodorant? Yeah, I still use it. Of course, it's not named that when I, where I buy it from, but I still buy it from the guy that makes it directly yeah, online. All right, we'll, 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 we'll talk after this because Paul did me a favor and I'll, I'll pass some along. So we'll, ah, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a lifetime supply <laughs> of pit stop right now. So, oh, gotcha. uh, <laughs> Used by Paul? Uh, no, it's not used by Paul. <laughs> Paul. So, you know, we were talking about it on the podcast. I'll just go ahead and say it. We were talking about it on the podcast, and um, I called him a you know a week later. Just you know, how's it going? The recording mm-hmm. came out great, and so forth. And and he said, you know, you were talking about how much you like that that pit stop. And he said, I was going through. I found like boxes of this stuff. He said, you want it? I said, yeah, I'll take it. So uh, anyway, this box showed up a week later. I bet there's. I don't know, 50, 50 packs of that stuff, brand new, still sealed. So I've been, holy I've been, cow. I carried it with me to Wyoming. Wow. So, that's a life supply right there. That stuff lasts forever. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. 
Oh, yeah, I, I like his I, name. I, okay, so I, I'm going to reel this a little bit back. We've gone from a compound rabbit hole to overdrawn <laughs> pit stop. You guys are just all over the 80s right now. Oh, <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, so, no doubt. You so, whippersnapper. <laughs> so, Chad, I, I always kind of thought, you know, that I, I always wondered this about you. I was like, well, when did the when did music Chad start? I mean, and how I, it seems like now I mean, that you're pretty much in lockstep as, as a musician and a hunter. Like, that's your subject matter, and you're kind of walking that path, and it's a path that's been good to you. But were you, like, playing guitar and had aspirations to be a musician and then said, oh, man, I like to hunt, and I really like this stuff, and I've got some stories, and, and I'm going to go that way? Or how did all that kind of happen? Um, well, um like I said, my dad had an archery shop, so I grew up around hunting, you know, my whole life and everything. And so my dad gave me that aspect. And then I, I have a grandmother, uh, who was my mom's mom, who was a big musician. She had a bluegrass band when I was growing up. And in the summer, I, I would kind of travel with them a little bit and just mostly hanging out, not really doing much of anything else. But, um, but I was always around music. My dad sang and played and all that. So, uh, uh, but when I was about 16, my grandmother would tell my mom uh, and dad that I was going to help them on the farm that weekend. Um, but what she was actually doing was dragging me out to the bars to sit in with the bands uh, when I was underage. So <laughs> that's what I did for uh, a few years and uh, and kind of learned chops and got to know uh, people that way. So, um, yeah, I, music's always been around, too, but um, I got serious about it when I was, you know, late teens, early twenties. And then, um, in college, um, I mean, I basically paid my way through college, uh, just playing four or five nights a week. Um, and, uh, and did some of that. And then I just ended up selling some songs, um, through some publishing companies and, and making some money on that. And, and I learned, Oh, I can actually maybe make a few bucks on this. So, um, and I went to work for EMI publishing in New York for a while and did that. And then they transferred me to Nashville and I was in Nashville for about 12 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. I just, so, just always been around both of them. So what is that? What, what was that subject matter about that you were selling songs for? Were you, uh, was that outside of the realm of what you're writing now or it's kind of the same? Kind oh of yeah. Yeah. Now I've written, I've literally written hundreds and hundreds of songs. Gotcha. And I've, uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, I've written drinking songs, I've written uh, traveling <laughs> songs, I've, you know, uh, whatever you want to talk, talk about. I've probably written a song about it. But so uh, but the ones back then uh, that I first they were story songs, you know, similar sure. songs that you, you uh, just stories about people that I knew growing up or was around or the types of people I was around growing up, you know, and, uh, you know, an archery shop is uh, I mean, you can get all the subject matter you want uh, out of that place just over the years of growing up there and you know the different kinds of people that come in and uh and and stories and uh just you know so it was a way for me to get around lots of different people that i would not have been around uh, in a typically in my life at that age so um you know so i tell all their stories and which is what i do with a lot of the hunting stories too i try to tell the stories of of people who i think have a good story but you probably won't hear their story otherwise. That's kind of what I try to do. You know? So, so 
which way is it? Does does the music inspire you to hunt, or does the hunting inspire you to play the music? Um, or a mixture of both, a, I guess. Well, yeah, I say it's a mixture of both. The um, all, um, I can't remember who said this, and it may have been Hemingway, but all great art comes from nature, and uh, so so definitely the hunting has a big part of the inspiration where art comes from for me. Um, even if it's not about hunting or the outdoors when I write something about it. So, um, but I think the inspiration comes from there no matter what, uh, you know, so my wife always reminds me if I'm, if I'm trying to work on something, I'm just not quite getting it or I'm, you know, she always says, you know, uh, what did Jesus do? Go out to the wilderness. <laughs> That's what I do. I wish I mom would say that. <laughs> <laughs> She's never going to say that, Steve. Yes, I am. Mean, well aware of that. She's going to say, so, don't you have something to do outside, or don't you have something that he's doing in the house, or, yeah. <laughs> Love you, Lori. <laughs> yeah. Go yeah. be well, my wife. the wilderness is not in her vocabulary. <laughs> Well, my wife is just glad to have me around. She, for years, I was gone about 180, 200 days a year. So, well, my um, mom's just usually happy to get me out of the house. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she she know. likes she likes to have me around, but it, not too much. She, she knows when. It, <laughs> All things good in moderation, Chad. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry, Nick. What were you about I to know, say? I was about say, how were you hunting and playing and writing all that music, man? Especially being in a busy place like Nashville. That, that had to have been. I mean, I've only heard crazy things about the life there, but and and visited it a couple times, and it was just something was always going on there. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it was crazy. The um, I just had to try to make time for it. The um, the the nice thing about it was a lot of people tend to tour you know, in the summertime, spring and summer, and then usually things kind of slow down but before the holidays. So a lot of times I was working, 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 but then I come home, I'm home like October, November. So that worked out well. And then when I was in Nashville, one of my best friends, uh guy, everybody calls Pappy, but his name is Mark Baggett. And he's the guy who the Tennessee classic is on his property. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. um yeah, so that's, uh, so that's where I hunted all the time. I'd go up and stay in the cabin with, with Mark and hunt on 600 acres, of the most beautiful piece of property in Tennessee you've ever seen. And I'd have weeks at a time off. So wasn't a bad deal. You ever make it to the classic? I haven't made it back to the classic, um, since 2000 and I was, the last time I was at the classic was, um, the big flood. I think uh, that was 2010. It took me took me two uh, two days to get home. I think was, Oklahoma was home at the at that time. Mm-hmm. So well, whatever you, year that was, yeah. If you ever decide to make it back, let me know. I I keep saying I'm gonna make it to that shoot, and and I can't remember now. There's always something that I have conflicting, and I haven't made it yet. This year, I was planning to go for a weekend. Um, me and and Crispin Hen, we were planning on driving over early Saturday morning, shooting Saturday and Sunday and coming, or maybe we're coming back Sunday night. I don't remember now, but, um, just happened to check the weather and they were calling for severe thunderstorms and rain all day. And we just, for eight hour windshield time, 
yeah, we, we, we decided not to go. So I still haven't made it to the Tennessee classic, but I really want to go. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Mark and, uh, and Gary Davis, two of the greatest self bow builders ever, ever lived. So it's nice to be able to get uh, hands on time with them. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Gary's a trip. I just, I love watching him. (laughs) He's just, just, Mm -hmm. you know, everything to, to the, the strings he makes. And I mean, it's just, it, it's such a treat to watch. And whenever I can see him at, he used to come to the great Lakes Longbow invitational and, um, set up there. Uh, and, um, kind of passed that down. I met where wiki does that now here. Um, and then I Kalamazoo expo Gary'd be there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Beautiful stuff, you know, selling blanks and, and you could used to be able to take a class and, and for like 150 bucks and come out with a self bow, um, for the event. And, uh, he'd show you everything and set his tools up. And it was, it, I always wished I could have done it. I always was working or busy or something. And, uh, while at the event and I just never really got to do it, but speaking of bows, um, so we talked about kind of, uh, you know, we were talking about your compound phase and, uh, right. you had a recurve when you were younger in the archery shop and everything. So what, what are you into now? Are you making your own bows now and hunting with them? Is that what you like to do? Or do you got a, a particular bow you want to talk about or? Um, well, yeah, the, uh, so I, I started building bows in, um, uh, late nineties. I started messing around with it. I made a few recurves and stuff. They weren't much to speak of. Um, and then, uh, about 2000 or 2001, um, I was trying to learn, I was trying to make some self bows and, uh, wasn't having the best luck with it. And, um, so I just was trying to find some people that were into it. And then I found, uh, Mark and found out they had, you know, 15, 20 guys almost every weekend building self bows up there on this farm. So, uh, I went up and met Mark and, um, uh, started building self bows with him. So him and Gary really were the ones who showed me how to build bows. Uh, cause Gary taught Mark and then Mark taught me. And then, and I actually learned a lot from Gary too, cause I've spent some time with him too. Um, so yeah, so I do, um, and this past year, just with moving and, and everything else we've done, I haven't really worked on too much bows. But I did build a, I did build one bow uh, that I call Wapiti's Prayer uh, before we moved, and it's, that's the first laminated bow I built in a long time. It's a laminated uh, hybrid longbow. Uh, but mostly, I build self bows. I've probably built about forty, fifty, something like that, um, oh. along along the lines, and. Um, um, but yeah, so that's mostly what I hunt with. I did hunt with the laminated bow this year. That was the first time I'd done that in a long time. Um, but I, I don't find that self bow shoots all that much different um, if it's built well. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with wood bows. So that's mostly what I hunt with. But I, I do have a couple laminated bows that, I, that I've built that I'll, that I'll hunt with from time to time. Cool. So you you kind of jumped in there about your your hunting this year and and what bow you mm-hmm. use and i i know uh i've been watching your 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 photos on instagram and i know you've you've had at least one success story uh for this year and as the is the mm-hmm. the mule deer doe is that the only thing you've 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 shot so far this year yeah yeah um yeah so i i got a mule deer tag and so i spent the first few weeks of season just concentrate on mule deer and i had a lot of i got some well i've I've probably posted some good pictures i've had some nice bucks some really nice bucks in around um 
and, uh, and of course this is in Colorado. And, uh, so, but I had never hunted mule deer before. Um, so that was a little bit of a learning curve, uh, with them and just that open, I've hunted turkeys in really open land. So I'm, I'm a little bit accustomed to, to that openness, but I'm not, I learned a lot about it. We'll put it that way. Uh, so it was good. And uh, yeah, she, I had a, I was on the ground, had like a 12 yard shot, you know, broadside. And so I took it and, uh, she was a big healthy doe. So I was glad about that because it was, I was two weeks into it and I'm like, you know what? I need to start hunting elk. <laughs> so <laughs> so she, she gave me a decent shot. I took it. Um, but, uh, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. And so I've done, it's been nice because I've done three separate backpacking trips so far, uh, tw- twice by myself and then once with a friend, an old friend of mine, uh, this year. So I've done, done a lot of backpacking trips this year and I've got, learned a lot about that and just about hunting out West. I've hunted out West before, but you know, it's just small pieces of time. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I hadn't got to really do it the way I got to do it this year. So I learned a lot, I think about it this year. So but you spent you spent quite a bit of time uh pursuing whitetails. Yeah, I grew up yeah, pursuing whitetails. I got my first one with a bow and arrow thirty years ago. And when I lived in Tennessee, the um the limit was a, a doe a day during the entire season. Um so with a bunch of us guys out there with self bows, we have no problem shooting does as often as possible. Right. <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, there were some seasons I took probably uh, I think one season I took 13, lucky number 13, uh, with a bow. So, wow. Very nice. Now, how did, um, and obviously I'm asking, I'm asking some of these questions for a reason, but, uh, <laughs> how did, um, how did you find, how did you find, um, your experience, your experiences with pursuing whitetails translated to, uh, pursuing mule deer? Um, well, mule deer are definitely much more like whitetails than elk are. Elk are a completely different animal. That's one thing I learned about elk. Um, but, um, uh, mule deer have the, I think the main difference that I noticed, cause I did get to watch them quite a bit. Um, they have patterns but they're much more random patterns than in a whitetail. And I don't know if that's because of the vastness of the areas or, or, or what. Um, but there are some patterns and I do notice that they use some of the same travel routes and stuff like that. They may not do it every single day, but over a week's time or a few days, you will see it use it more than once. Mm-hmm. So they definitely have more habits. Um, like a whitetail does I've noticed, um, than, than an elk elk is, way different uh in that but uh so i did notice that quite a bit uh but man they're uh of course hunting whitetails you know mostly in, in a tree stand it's a whole lot different when you're on the ground all the time and uh and man they can smell um and they can see really well they i think they see better than than whitetail because i mean they'd pick me up i'd be 100 yards away if i didn't if i did something stupid or you know, was uh, silhouetted in any way or anything like that, they're going to bust me, guaranteed. 
so that's some of that's some of that's kind of interesting and i'll you know i don't think i've said this we tom and i've talked about our hunt on two different episodes one just really talking about our our gear and one about we let nick kind of go through and ask us some questions about our hunt and so forth but one thing i haven't just come out and said uh publicly is i'll be honest i was a bit humbled because i went out there um thinking mule deer are going to be a pushover if i can if i can kill whitetail you know on especially on the ground with a longbow out out east this mule deer stuff's going to be easy and boy was i wrong um <laughs> not not so much i guess i should clarify that and we said on you know we 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 said the one thing i told tom when we when we were driving back down to sheridan um is i will i'll never i'll never i don't think i will ever go hunt an area again if i can't get um uh, an antler antlerless tag which we couldn't get all we had was all we had were buck tags we didn't see a single buck and i don't know if you've already heard us talking about this or not but does we could have tagged we could have shot does we between the two of us one of us had at least one shot at a doe every day after we relocated from the original spot that we'd selected to hunt. Um, mm-hmm. but we never found, we never did find any bucks. I, and I don't, I, I still don't know where they are. There may not be any in that entire region. We were hunting for all I know, cause we never saw. <laughs> one. Um, huh. but the, the does, I agree. They, yeah, if they got downwind of you, they acted just like a whitetail. Um, mm-hmm. visually, uh, you know, I'm a, I feel like I'm a decent steel hunter, stalker. Definitely mm-hmm. would not classify myself as being great at it. It's just not something I've really done a lot of. And I got consistently close to mule deer does. The flip side is those does have not been hunted for a while because since Wyoming had the big winter kill a few years back, there haven't been any doe tags that I'm yep. aware of. So they, you know, they're, they're living the, the, the life fat and happy. But if they got downwind of you, they raised came i mean they they blew and snorted and carried on but um so yeah that that we weren't in an area too where we could be silhouetted um or at least the majority of our hunt we were hunting in pretty heavy timber so you know oh okay gotcha problem but um yeah and yeah i I, I don't have a frame of reference on well the and, and I had similar, I would say similar with does, like I had plenty of opportunities at does and I finally took one at the end, but, um, but the bucks, they're the ones who would catch me visually. Really? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I had two different bucks that, and it was my own stupidity cause I just wasn't, I thought I was far enough away that I could get away with some movements and I couldn't. You know, I had so an experience I, I, like that in a tree stand this past weekend. That's <laughs> <laughs> yep (laughs) so um but um but yeah so but i I really enjoyed it and uh i got i was able to get a leftover tag that's how i got the mule deer tag uh there's not a lot of tags to get here in colorado either because it it was a pretty bad winter kill here too so now how long have you Um, been in colorado chad it it's been uh it's been one year this uh, month Oh, okay. So you're, you're still just mm-hmm. getting your, your sea legs, so to speak, as far as from a hunting perspective out there. Yeah. Yeah. I've hunted in Colorado probably about four or five times in my life, but, um, 
Um, one time it was, uh, or well, I, I, yeah, I had a muzzleloader out here once, and the rest of the time was, was with bows. But uh, it was, you know, it was short trips, and it wasn't anything like, uh, it was no backpacking trips. I mean, we had, you know, a big camp set up on National Forest or whatever, but I just went with other guys that had, so I didn't really do the homework and stuff like I did on these trips, but, um, so it, yeah, it was, it's a lot. Of, I learned a lot. I spent September, I spent 23 days in the woods. So I learned a lot in September. Wow. For sure. I, I, yeah. I wish I could. Well, I shouldn't say that if I added them up. Nah, I still didn't come close 23 days. Congratulations <laughs> on that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's what, uh, uh, that's what semi-retirement's for. But also, I mean, I've worked my butt off up until that. Yeah. So most most all the time I got off this year, except for I did have a knee replacement in uh, back in April. So uh, end of March. So I was down, supposed, I was supposed to be down six weeks. But, you know, the turkey season is in there. So that was out of the question. <laughs> so so you mentioned <laughs> – You've mentioned whitetails, mule deer, elk, and and turkey. So I've I've got to ask a question, mm -hmm. you know. And I hope you don't give me a Paul Bruner answer. But uh, what's your <laughs> what's your uh, what's your favorite what's your favorite animal to pursue? Oh, okay, favorite animal to pursue. Um, and if you listen to the Paul Bruner podcast, episode, I did. Yeah, I, I know what he said. Yeah, and I I would have some of those same feelings, uh, but. Um, I would, I'd have to say just because now I've hunted turkeys in uh, every, I mean, all over the country. So that's probably the one animal besides whitetail I've hunted the most. Um, and I've taken three of the four species so far with Lombo. Nice. So, yeah, that's, that's probably my favorite. Um, I'm trying to put something together to go to Florida, get my Osceola one of these days. Um but so I, I mean, I grew up turkey hunting. Uh, I got my first turkey when I was 16, I think 15 or 16. And I've been hooked. I mean, big time hooked on turkey hunting. So I, I really like that. I think it's, the, I think it's probably the greatest challenge you can do with, with a bow too, uh, just about. So, and the great part is it's a great challenge and we can do it in about every state. So it's pretty neat. And, and all with a bow. I, I, I um, admit I'm impressed. Well, yeah. I've, now I've killed lots of turkeys in my life because um, we we grew up. I grew up around right the Mason-Dixon line, so literally Pennsylvania was a few miles in one direction, Maryland's a few miles the other direction. So we would hunt uh, like turkeys. We would hunt all three states, you know, for years growing up and stuff. So, and of course, I hunted shotgun for years, you know, before I got crazy enough to try it with a bow. And then, uh, so, but uh, yeah, but I have taken those three species with, with the longbow. I mean, I've, I've taken lots of Easterns and I've taken several Rios and stuff, but, I, um, I've only taken a few Rios with a bow and, uh, uh, probably about seven or eight, uh, Easterns. And then I, and then this spring I, I did kill two turkeys here. Uh, so well, with, I'm really, with my longbow. I'm really hoping at some point somebody is going to show me what I'm doing wrong because I just can't get fired up about turkey hunting. And I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know why. I, I, I don't know what your problem is there. I, I, I wish somebody showed me how to do it and actually kill one. That'd be great. Um, I, <laughs> we've, we've come really close quite a few times and I, and I absolutely love turkey hunting. I think, I think it's probably 
uh, honestly spot and stalk turkeys. And I mean, I know that's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy John and I have been doing it the last couple of years here in Michigan and we absolutely love it. We have a blast, you know, we haven't got anything yet. Um, and I've never, I've, I've only done it with a shotgun a couple of times and I didn't get anything there either, but I, it just, the, the thrill of it and, and the calling and how interactive it is. And, um, and actually you were talking about, uh, now that I know how much you, tur- you turkey hunt and I know you elk hunt too, mm-hmm. cause I've always wondered this. I've never been elk hunting. Um, is, is I've heard that elk hunting and turkey hunting are kind of similar. Do you want to speak to that at all or can you? I mean, how, how- um, yeah, I can. The, uh, I, yes, that is true. And yes, that's not true at the same time. So, and, um, actually I've got an article, um, I just sent to uh, traditional bow hunters called the bugles of spring where I kind of talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, oh. uh, the, um, one thing I found, uh, was an interesting thing that happened to me in the spring. So when I was turkey hunting, uh, and I first, like the first week out, I wasn't hardly hearing anything, wasn't hardly seeing anything. And I stopped at my local fly shop to pick up some, some stuff. Uh, and, uh, there's a guy Mark in there and, and, and uh, Mark's like, well, you after them turkeys? I'm like, yeah, I'm not having any luck. He said, well, they're just like, uh, they're the bugles of spring. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're going to find the turkeys at, at the same, um, elevation. You're going to find elk this time of year. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, you need to get between six and 7,000 feet and you'll find turkeys. Okay. Hmm. So, uh, hmm. I live at 5,000 feet. So I'm like, well, I know just up the road, the elevation goes up and I knew, so I got on the map and I'm there. Okay. And went up there and sure enough, got into turkeys at 6,000 feet. So, oh. um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if he just <laughs> caught that or what, but, uh, but anyway, that was the case for me. I did find, that's what I found out here was they were between six and 7,000 feet, uh, in the early part of in there in spring. Um, so there are similarities in calling. Uh, I think it's way easier to call, uh, turkeys on public land than it is elk. Um, I think primarily the reason I think that is in, in, here anyway, is that the turkey don't get pressured. I hardly ever saw anybody when I was out turkey hunting. But if I'm out elk hunting, I'm going to see people. Yeah, everybody's bugling at them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so uh, turkeys, I didn't find that. In fact, I don't think I saw another hunter in the woods when I was turkey hunting. Um, and But at the same token, where I hunted, uh, now people will hit it, in it and uh, hunt it for elk and stuff. It's draw only where I live for elk um, in, in the unit I actually live in. Um, but, um, they shut down so many of the roads that time of year and they don't open them again until June or July. So a lot of that area that I hunted, you couldn't get, you couldn't drive back there. So I had to walk, you know, a few miles of roads to get back into the area. Nobody's going to do that for turkeys usually. So I was pretty much by myself, but, um, so that's one thing I did find public land. Uh, yeah, it's a lot harder to call them in. I ended up, I had more success not calling too much or, or just cow calling here and there. Just do some basic social calls. I seem to have more. But this year was, was kind of weird, too, because we right uh, towards the end of September, we had a huge uh, heat wave. And I was 11,000 feet, and it was 82 degrees. 
So really, um, huh. yeah, it was it was unbelievable. It was just crazy weather. So um, the the real bugling, the good bugling, didn't start till after archery season ended. First two weeks of October, the the last week of of September, first week of October, it was, it was crazy. Literally from my house, we'd have the windows up at night, and I could just hear them bugle all night long. Uh, that's cool. Um, we, yeah. and, and we didn't hear a lot of, we were, we were in Wyoming, um, the first week. So September mm-hmm. one, and I want to say midweek before we ever heard a single bugle. And we probably heard four or five the whole, the whole week, which I'd never heard one. So I was happy when I heard the first one, I'd have been happy right there. But, mm-hmm. um, and did did get within in range of a an elk if we had had a tag for that, which we didn't. But right. uh, <laughs> you know, we weren't we weren't we definitely weren't hunting for them, weren't looking for them. We did. Uh, in fact, that's a question I'm gonna throw at you here in a second. But you know, mm-hmm. we we rode around some during the midday and hit a few trout streams. And I know one of the one of the trout the streams that we went to. Um, one of the one of the people there said that the, that the previous night there was a, a herd of elk just went right through the campground um mm-hmm. and you could see this you know you could see the sign that they were there but we never we never even heard one uh bugle there that day but uh so nick hadn't asked this so he's probably gonna throw stones at me because i thought of it but uh you do any you do any fly fishing out there I was going to say oh, yeah. fly shop. You said fly shop. <laughs> I did say fly shop. Yeah, so I uh, – um, now, that was one thing that did fall to the wayside uh, for a number of years was, was fly fishing. I, um, I, I, when I was in high school um, and preteens and stuff, I got into fly fishing. Um, and then uh, I, was t- I was tying flies and stuff in, in high school and stuff like that. But then after I started college and different things um, – and to start moving around, I just didn't get to keep up with it. So, yeah, that was one of the things I wanted to kind of re get back to uh, was fly fishing. So, um, and I live right on the Big Thompson River, so um, it's a it's a pretty good river. And uh, I can I walk off out my front door and I walk a hundred yards and I'm on the river, and I can fish. And uh, so, yeah, fly fishing is definitely something that I'm getting back into, um, and I'm still. Uh, still have my chops like I did, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm working at it. And I, I have started t- uh, uh, tying again and stuff. And uh, the, uh, got a nice group of guys here at the fly shop that uh, they'll put together, you know, like a Tuesday night, you go down to the pub and they have everything set up and you go in and, and you have a beer and there'll be some different pattern you never tied before. And he'll have all the stuff for it. And you sit there and they'll go over it and, you, you know, have a few, have a few drinks and tie some flies and, and stuff like that. So, all right, Chad, yeah. I, I'm just going to come clean. You know, I, I really thought I was going to like you, but the more you talk, I mean, you, you, your wife tells you just to go out and be one with the wilderness. You walk a yeah. hundred yards and you're able to fly fish in your backyard and you've got a local yeah. pub that you can drink and they'll teach you how to tie flies at the same time. You're, you're kind of wearing, <laughs> you're kind of wearing yourself thin with me right now, buddy. Yeah, I understand. Well, this is a it's a magical place. I didn't I didn't end up here by chance. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was planned. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was been planned for a long time. So, uh, yeah, no, we uh, I mean we uh, we sold our last home and uh, we just we just decided we were going to do what we want with the uh, the rest of our life if we can. So, 
we um, we built a tiny home. We built a 410 square foot ho house and um, got rid of all our stuff that we don't need. And uh, so uh, bought this piece of property that we found. And actually, the only reason we even got the property was um, the lady and her husband who owned the property. Um, she was a fan of my music and we met them at a show and they, uh, she'd been in a bad car accident and they could no longer take care of the property. And, uh, so we ended up, they ended up giving, making us a really good deal on it and we bought the property. So, <clears throat> um, but we fell in love with this area years ago. I did a show up in, uh, uh Cheyenne and we drove down from Cheyenne down through Fort Collins and out that way. And we just, there was something about the area. We just loved it. So it's always been on our radar. And then when we finally got to a point where we are ready to move and do something, that's, we, we bought the property and, and here we are. So, so it was a long time getting here and there's a lot of planning to get to this point too. So, and, uh, and my wife and I, you know, we worked, both worked really hard for a long time and we never had kids and we've done a lot of things to get to this point. So, it's not by luck. <laughs> it's a lot of hard work, <laughs> but uh, we're glad we're here, and uh, we're going to make. I'm going to do the best I can with the time I got here, and I'm going to enjoy it. Well, it 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 sure sounds like you are so far. <laughs> yeah, it's been a good year. I can tell you that. Uh, even with a knee replacement, it's still been a good year. So. Well, Nick, you got uh, you got anything else to to throw Chad's way? Yeah, I do. Uh, lay it out chad i, I gotta know man <laughs> yeah favorite favorite guitar what is it that you own well um so that's an easy choice the guitar that i that i play most often and that i have was hand built and um it was built by a guy um it, it was I, I shouldn't say it was built completely it was started by a guy in memphis that i met years ago and uh, I, uh, he's was one of the best guitar builders uh, I ever saw anywhere. And he's the guy who, if you like the Dave Matthews special Gibson or whatever, well, you go down, you buy, you buy that guitar or whatever at the store. Well, that's not the guitar that, uh, that Dave is playing. The one that Dave is playing, this guy built it. Uh, so that's kind of, that's the level this guy was. But anyway, um, so I had an idea for guitar I wanted. And, uh, what happened was, is I got a, um, um, my father had a, um, uh, a wood shop for a number of years. Uh, and, uh, so we would tear down old barns to get, you know, like warmy chestnut and different, you know, hard to find woods. Well, anyway, we, we tore down an old barn and it had a bunch of old mahogany in it. So I took this mahogany to that guy and that, I mean, that mahogany that had been in that barn for probably a hundred years. So I took it to him. He started the guitar and then he passed away before it got finished. So I had it for a number of years, kept, you know, what had started. And then when I was in Nashville, I got to do a couple sessions with Guy Clark and Guy um, builds guitars in his, and in his basement. Um, well, a guy passed away a few years ago, but um, so anyway, we ended up finishing that guitar over about a, a year period here and there uh, in his basement. So that's my favorite guitar for multiple reasons. And that's a uh, story. That is 
Yes. <laughs> that, 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 uh, that guitar, and that guitar has been beat around. I mean, I've played that guitar hard, uh, for 18, 19 years. Um, and it's, you know, it doesn't look like Willie's guitar yet, but it's, uh, it's not far from it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, so that's my favorite guitar. Uh, and I do have some other guitars. I've got, I've got an old Martin, um, that, uh, a friend gave me. And, uh, I've got some old, tele- I got an old, uh, Telecaster, uh, I got a 1972 Stratocaster that I found, uh, I worked for a music shop when I was like 19 and I went to, uh, went with them to this big fact or not a factory, but a warehouse of this place. And we got to go down the bottom of this warehouse for a couple hours and I found it in the box and that was in 1994. Oh, that's right. Down the box. So nice. I bought that guitar. <laughs> so, so I got it. It's the same. It's the same one, same black Stratocaster that uh, Eric Clapton played and some stuff when I was a kid. So that's why I, I recognized it immediately. Um, so, so I've got some of those guitars, and I've got you know, some, I got a banjo and mandolin, some other stuff that sits around. I like to pick on once in a while. But, yeah, I saw you post a mandolin uh, photo the other day. I was like, man, this guy does it all. Um, well, those are those are fun instruments. Uh, I like I like those instruments. Yep. I, uh, I mess around on a mandolin too, but I honestly, I only chord on it and stuff like that. I've been to some, uh, some jams and stuff like that where I've just watched people and I just love watching people play rhythm on a mandolin more than anything. But, uh, um, mm-hmm. man, that's, that's, that's really cool. That's a, that's a great, a couple, a couple great guitar stories there. I read, um, Deke Dickerson's book about, you know, of guitar stories. I don't know if you've ever heard that the, uh, guitar in the attic uh-huh. or yeah, check those out. He just he's just found guitars in really weird places and hunted things down and and uh I when I went when we went to, to we took the kids to Disney, I downloaded both of his books and read them in just a couple sittings and just I love those stories. Wow. Bows huh. and guitar stories, man, you can't beat them. Just there's just something about <laughs> especially there's just something about stories about things made out of wood. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I agree. Yep. What about you, Steve? Got anything else? You know what? No, I think we've. Uh, I think we've probably managed to keep uh, Chad away from his wife long enough. He might. <laughs> he might take away one of those. Go be with the wilderness days away from him if we keep him away from mom. So yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I, I will take uh, just a minute. I'm, I'm terrible about doing this. I've had two or three people say I, I, I'm not a very good salesperson. So I'll just say for everyone listening, you know, please. Go out to iTunes, leave us a rating or review. Um, be sure to subscribe so you get future episodes. Um, and Chad, I would just like to say, man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to be on here with us. I, 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 I've kind of felt this way for a while, and I, I, I feel even more so now. I would really like to share a, 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 a campfire with you sometime in the near future. The only, the only deal is you got to bring your guitar, of course, but of course yeah i don't get away i don't get out of that i don't think hardly but uh yeah it's uh i would love to come down to georgia sometime for sure but uh but if nothing else we um i'm going to plan on going to the classic uh because it's been too long and uh, i haven't seen mark in a few years either uh, just so uh i'm going to plan on going to the classic so uh by all means if you guys can make it uh this year or whatever and i'm 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 going to try to make it to uh uh, Compton this year too. I keep saying uh, it's been awesome. years since I've been up there. So well, Nick, I like to just, make it up there. Nick's just right up the road there, and mm-hmm. I am. That's what I thought. Yeah, 
I'm planning on going back again this year. In fact, we, um, we're probably going to set up a, a booth at Compton's for the, for the show. Oh, okay. I don't know if we'll, we probably won't man it all day. We love to shoot too much. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, hopefully we get to, that'd be great to see you there. And I know I'm going to be heading out to hunt, uh, out West again. So, you know, that might coincide, uh, Next year, next year's a stay-at-home year. Uh, recoup some funds, but uh, I, I understand that. Definitely be yeah, the, uh, back out there soon. Yeah, well, I'll be going. Um, I now I, I will be in Wyoming. I hope to be in Wyoming, I'm, but I put in. I'll be putting in for the draw in Wyoming and stuff because I'm only an hour from Wyoming. So oh, cool. Um, yeah, so I'll be putting in for draws and stuff in Wyoming uh, going forward. I even took the. Uh, I just did the online. Um, course the hunter ed because if you do the hunter ed mm-hmm. for their state then you get an extra bonus point every year for the draw so keep that in mind anybody wants to do wyoming go ahead and do your online 20 bucks and then you just got you, at some point you got to stop and, and do a, a full day course there but once you do then you've got it and you get a bonus point every year you put in for so i did not know that i'll have to look into mm-hmm. that yeah so good good thing to do arizona does the same thing so so good thing to awesome. know well, thank you for that little piece of information. Yeah, no problem. Well, Chad, we're going to let you go again. Thank you so much, Nick. It was great talking to you as always, and uh, look forward to talking to you again next week and look forward to seeing you in about three. Absolutely. Uh, thanks again, Chad. A lot of fun, man. Thanks for the stories. Oh, absolutely. Glad to do it, guys. Good talking to you. All right. Take care, guys. You have a good night. You too.